so many of you brought your children. There's 81 kids downstairs right now. <laughs> I know, it's pretty great. Pretty great. Uh, for those who are looking for more space, we also have a Saturday night service, um, which has more seating, if, uh, if you're interested. Uh, anyways, going to jump right in this morning. We are in part seven of a series, so if you have not been with us the last number of weeks, you missed a, a, a whole bunch of parts, but that's okay. Uh, you, this one stands alone. But you can also uh, go back and listen to some of those, and I would encourage you to do so. Uh, we've been asking ourselves this question, what would it be like to journey with Jesus? What's it like to actually follow Christ? Because we have this term called Christian in North America that means like a thousand different things to a thousand different people. And for very few of them, does it actually mean what Jesus desired for it to mean? And that is that we would be following him. You wonder, what does it look like to follow Jesus? Well, we have eyewitness reports of what it actually looked like to follow him uh, back in the day. Luke was a a doctor, a historian, who who spoke to all the eyewitnesses to give an accurate account of something that happened. If you're here this morning and you think, you know, this is just religion and people wrote some, some stories to start a new religion, that's not how this happened. The reason we have any of the stories that we have is because something already happened. The, there was a man who died and rose from the dead. And when they saw that, they were like, we've got, we've got to write about this. Like, this never happens. And it says many people wrote about it. It wasn't just one or two. It was many. We have a number of those letters, a number of those documents, and we're going to look at some of them today. Uh, there's, there's documents about the, Jesus outside of the Bible as we have it, but we're going to focus on the ones that, uh, that we have that you would have with you this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you uh, take a chance to just open them and follow along with us. Um, one of the things that Jesus said uh, all throughout is that he was going to do something brand new. He wasn't starting, he wasn't continuing a religion called Judaism. He wasn't starting a, another religion because there, num- there was a number of those. He was starting something brand new that people had not seen before. And for most of the time, uh, the people who saw it, they were like, well, this is new because it's completely backwards to what we're used to. It seems upside down to the stuff that we're used to hearing. And so this morning is, an, is another thing. It doesn't feel as backwards or upside down to us today but it, compl- it did to them in that, in that day, and we're going to take a look at it and how it affects our lives this morning. So before I go too far, have you, um, have you ever met someone, and it's like this awkward um, thing where, you know, maybe it's your spouse, uh, usually it's the husband, and then you have to, to remind them, would you, you know, should you stop acting like a child? Maybe it's your teenager, you know, you're like, you're 17, stop acting like you're three. You ever have those conversations? Uh, have you ever been on the other side of it, where someone else tells you that? You know, have you, you know, stop acting like a child? It's, uh, I see some of them slinking a little lower. I see a fuzz. You know, it's uh, one, of those, one of those things where uh, it's, not, it's not the greatest compliment you can get in, the, in life. Um, uh, on Valentine's Day, a couple days ago, my brother, my youngest brother got married. Uh, I got to do his wedding, and it was, pretty, it was pretty fun. And afterwards, we're sitting around the table, and the, uh, we're having coffee. And I had a coffee, and then I didn't have a coffee. And I was like, where did it go? And then I see my brother. He's drinking my coffee. And so I'm like, oh, that was my coffee, bro. And he's like, uh, no, this one's mine, and this one's mine. He's got two. He's got his and, and his. And I was like, how's my coffee? And you know what? At these reception things, they just give you the tiniest little cups of coffee. I mean, I was like, I wanted that coffee. And so I was, I was like, that, that's mine. And he's like, no, that's mine. And, and anyways, our little discussion got maybe a little bit more heated than it should have. And so his wife says to us, would you two stop acting like you're 12? And all the tables around look at us. It's like, that's never the thing that you want to hear. It's one thing if you're 14. It's another when you're 40. Uh, and so I was like, 
You just never want to hear that. Well, today we're going to look at a time where the disciples heard that and didn't want to hear it either. And so uh, if you want to um, turn with me to Mark chapter 10, Mark was, um, Mark was a, a, an associate of a guy named Peter. Peter, the man that uh, Brian was just referencing earlier. Peter, who was an eyewitness follower of Jesus, hung out with a man named Mark. Mark was the one who wrote down the account uh, of, uh, of this thing from, from what Peter had seen. And so he, here's, here's how it goes. Uh, as the disciples were following Jesus, it says, one day... Um, Mark 10, verse 13. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus. Okay, so the word parents is not actually in the original text. I think our North American or the, the translators put it in there to help kind of make it understandable that maybe some kids, you know, didn't just show up. But we'll see that the possibility is that these kids just showed up. But it says anyways, there were some kids. Some uh, kids were brought to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. And when Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. And they probably were, you know, the disciples, you know, they would have thought in that, in that moment, why are you angry with us? It's just a baby, just a baby. See the baby? All right, good. It's just, you know, he says, why are you angry with us? That's going to come in handy in a second. Um, he thought, you know, like they said, we don't, want, we don't want these children to bother you, Jesus, because children have a really good way of doing that. Uh, any parents here have children that know how to bother you? It's like I'm preparing in my office, studying, and all of a sudden the kids will come in and they'll, they'll, they'll ask you, like, hey, Dad, you want to hear the most annoying sound? I'm like, no. no, no like, not, never do I want to hear the most annoying sound, and, and usually not right now either when I'm studying. And, and, and then they'll be like, well, here it is. And then they just make up some new annoying sound. I'm like, oh. And then there's the, there is the most annoying sound, and it sounds like this. Dad, can we have screen? Dad, can we have screen? Dad, can we have screen? Can we have screen? Can we have screen? Mom said we could have screen. If you said we could have screen. Dad, can we have screen? Can we have screen? I was like, is it 4 o'clock? No. Screen time is 4 o'clock. Uh, we've had it even where at 4 a.m. My son came in and woke me up and said, Dad, it's 4 a.m. Can I have screen? They just, they just know. They just know. They're, they have their ways of bothering you, and, and the disciples would have known this. And every once in a while as a parent, you just get to that moment where you just lose it. No? <laughs> uh, uh, I, I had that, one of those moments this week. Uh, I, was working on my, uh, I was working on my house. I'd had a big leak in my roof a while back, and I kind of mentioned that to you. And so I'd fix that, and then, and then they were painting. And then all of a sudden, I get a text from my painter. I was actually at a meeting with Charlie and Sharon, and I get this text from my painter saying, there's water leaking down the wall. I'm just like, oh, <laughs> No. Uh, and I don't even remember what happened at the rest of the meeting. I'm sorry. If I forget to do all the stuff I was supposed to do, it's because my head went to a whole different place. I'm just like, this cannot be possibly happening. Uh, and so I spent uh, a couple of days up in my attic, up to my eyeballs in insulation, and I'm, I got out of the attic, and I'd gone back to my in-laws, where I live now, in their basement, and we were sitting upstairs, and my one son, uh, my youngest son, he's, he's very strong-willed, and so we've been working with him on when we ask him to do something, that his response is not, no. He's five, but he thinks he's bigger than us, and whatever. So, so we've been kind of working with him on this, and, and so then we're sitting there, and it's, it's dinner time. The kids are eating at the island. I'm like rubbing my eyes full of insulation at the table, and all of a sudden, I hear my mother-in-law say to my son, uh, Finley, don't drink all the orange juice. He had, had a juice box, and he had it in his mouth, uh, and he's, he's drinking the, the orange juice. She says, don't drink all the orange juice before dinner, and all of a sudden, he doesn't stop drinking it, and so she tells him again, don't, don't drink all the orange juice, Finley. Her voice gets a little bit louder, 
Then all of a sudden, all of his other parents kick in, his older siblings. Max starts up, Finley, don't drink all the orange. And then Link, Finn, you heard her. And then Reese, Dad, he's not listening again. And I was like, that's it. I lost it. I got up and I went, I grabbed him real gently. And I, I, grabbed, the, I grabbed the orange juice box out of his mouth. And I saw it in his eyes as I was looking at him. I'm like, oh, he's terrified. I'm like, stop drinking. He wouldn't stop. So I grabbed it out. And orange juice everywhere. And it was in that moment that I realized something. He had actually before I even take a, even a little sip of it, he had blown into the orange juice box. So now, of course, he knew, if I let go, it's going everywhere. I can't not drink it, and I can't, I can't take it out of my mouth. So he was stuck, but I, I grabbed orange juice everywhere, and I was like, then I realized, I'm like, I'm just about to discipline the wrong person. And I carried him down to his room anyways. I set him in his room, I'm like, you're not in trouble. You can leave anytime you want. But he was in, in tears. I was like, oh, like, how did, how did I get to this, to this moment? And and then I, I was like, man, I couldn't get him to stop crying. And then, of course, it's Bible study night, and I have to leave and go to Bible study. I'm just like sitting in the back with the undutchables, the rest of the Dutch crew, and I wonder why is he always sitting so far away from the teacher. And it's like one of those bad nights. I'm like, oh, you know. I text Beth, Beth, please give him an extra hug for me because, you know, whatever. But they just have this way of just pushing the buttons to bother you. And, and, and you know, when we think of our kids, and we think of kids these days, it's not like I, that you, you hate your kids or you're like, oh, those kids, they're such a burden. You know, maybe you think about kids these days, and you've got thoughts when you hear the words. Every time somebody says kids these days, the next words are never positive. They're like, you know, they're like entitled, they're attention deficit, they're ungrateful, they're disrespectful, they're, they're confused, and then just group it all in one, just the millennials, even though, you know, it's, there's a whole other generation already. It's just, it's just blame, it on, blame it all on that. But, but children in the first century, when they said kids these days, it was way different than what we think about when we think kids in these days. Um, most people in, in uh, just studying Roman, uh, Roman history and the first century and what it was like to live in that time frame, and, and the kids in that time frame, it was completely different than what we would uh, consider, you know, kids these days. They lived in, in poverty. Most, of, most people, unless they were really rich, they would live in what we would call, consider poverty. They didn't have birth control, so there was lots of kids, which was a good thing because a lot of kids didn't make it past their first birthday. Many of their children they didn't even name until they, uh, until they made it to one, said, okay, you're going to make it, you can have a name. They had um, so many kids that they couldn't uh, provide often for them. A lot of kids would be abandoned on the, on the side of the road and, and just, you know, whatever. Live or die didn't really matter. The value of children was completely different than what we would look at it today. They loved their kids, but it was just a thing of they, they didn't think they, that they were going to make it. In Roman culture, you were allowed to sell your children into slavery at a young age, and you could buy them back if they made it to adulthood because they were still yours. But we, we don't think about that. The Christians were the ones who would take in tons of these children um, uh, as a result, but there was others who would as well. One of the, um, uh, Justin Martyr, he's one of the early church fathers, second century, he wrote that uh, and described how others would take in herds of these children, he called it, and they would raise herds of these children for prostitution purposes. This was what was common in that day and that time. And so here, people are bringing these children to Jesus, these kids that kind of were looked at more like burdens than blessings, and, and there was this thought that Jesus, will you bless these kids? And the disciples were right away, to the, like they would have just commonly thought, no, those are just burdens. You know, <laughs> don't bug Jesus with that. He's important. It's all, about, it's all about the men. And yet Jesus was angry with the disciples. And I'd hate to be on the other side of Jesus being angry. I, I, I just like, you know, parents angry, that's one thing. But, you know, God angry at you, that's a whole different thing. But here's Jesus. He's angry at his disciples. And he may have been angry because of a previous conversation he had just had with them. And if you go back, just scroll back a little bit to Mark chapter 9, the previous chapter, Jesus and his disciples had been walking from Galilee 
uh, where, the, where this walking on water event had happened. And uh, they were walking to Capernaum. It says this, after they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, and I added a word, so what were you guys discussing on the road? See, because they were walking together and uh, just want you to, you know, not just read the words, but picture it. Here's Jesus and the disciples. They walk, they get in the house, and all of a sudden he's like, so fellas, what were you guys, dis- what were you guys discussing on the road back there? I heard you talking. And here's their answer. He says, they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which one of them was the greatest. He's like your kids, you know? Hey, what were you guys talking about? Nothing, no one, nowhere, never. None of them answered Jesus at all. And what I I love about it is he never even waits for their answer. They're probably like, Peter, don't say nothing. You always say the wrong thing. Don't say anything. Just everyone be quiet. We're not going to get in trouble. You know, we know we're in trouble. How does he, how did he hear? How does he know? But let's just, let's pretend he doesn't, he doesn't know. Verse 35, Jesus sits down. He calls the 12 disciples over to him, which says this is not happening just with the 12. There's other people watching. Do you ever have to discipline your kids in front of other people? Do you ever remember what it was like to be disciplined in front of other people? (laughs) This was happening. He gets them to sit down, and then he says to them, they're thinking, just a lesson, just a lesson, just just normal lesson. He says, whoever wants to be first, like he knows. He read our minds. He knows our thoughts. Whoever wants to be first must take the last place and be the servant of everyone else. Verse 36, he says, so then he, he put a little child among them. Why? Because there was kids around there. He says, he put a little child among them. And he says, he took the child in his arms. And he said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And he says, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my father and, those, and uh, the one who sent me. He says to them, you, you guys look down on people. He says, but I want you to realize that there's something bigger happening when you welcome a little child. He picks up the little, you guys are talking about who's going to be the greatest. And he's like, you missed the point. He's like, let's talk about the ones you think are the least. And let me, let's, let's, let's learn from them for a minute. He says, you know, when you welcome a child, you welcome Jesus. Do you realize that this morning as we welcomed 81 children into this room, we welcome Jesus in the room? Do you realize that Jesus is, is in this building every single week? So we don't think about it that way because, you know, and, and the thing is, they for sure didn't think about it that way. And he says it's even greater than that. When you welcome um, people that, you, you know, others look down on, he says you're actually welcoming God. That's, that's how God loves and lives. And he says, I want you to see people the way I see them as being important. Well, Matthew was an eyewitness. Mark wasn't there, but Matthew was. He remembers this detail. He remembers in Matthew 18, verse 3, it says that Jesus had said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children. He says to those guys, like, you think you're the greatest? He says, unless you turn from that attitude, that, that actual sinful attitude of I'm going to be great and become like little children, you're never getting into the kingdom of heaven. You guys think you're going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He says, that is so not what this is about. He's like, if you become like little children, and just for those who think, oh, that's a, a license to be immature, you know, I just never have to grow up. Jesus said it. <laughs> He goes on to clarify. He says, you know, so anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Those who, who, who realize that others are more important than them, who see, who choose to see others. Of course, an adult looks, can look at a kid and say, I can look down on a kid, but to say, I'm going to get down on their level and realize this child is, is as important or more important than myself. I'm going to choose to see them that way. You know, it, it's interesting that we, we never see Jesus hang out with a bunch of kids and grab an adult and put them in front of the kids and say, hey, kids, look at this adult. Would you guys all grow up and be more like him? And he never does. He gets a bunch of adults like us. And he puts a kid right in the front and says, all right, everybody, take a look. I want you to be more like them. 
I want you to have that simple trusting faith. I want you to just be simply listening for him. I want you to not have the doubt that you just that you simply trust, that you have a confident trust in a good, perfect heavenly father. This was a lesson they got taught repeatedly. They looked down on all kinds of people, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. They looked down on children. They looked down on Samaritans because they were, you know, from the other side of the tracks. They looked down on the tax collectors. They looked down on women. They looked down on Gentiles. It was like they're, you know, they're walking along. Men, 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 all about the men. That's their, their thought, and Jesus is saying, listen, it's different. And see, the thing is, we don't realize that the way we treat women and children today in North America is a direct result of the teachings of Jesus. It is so different for women and children today simply because of Jesus. And Jesus would have reminded them, my followers are not limited by age. You can learn from the followers of Jesus that are in the rumble room right now. And maybe he sat down and reminded these guys of some of their heroes. Maybe he, you know, we don't have the conversation, but not in this particular spot, but in other places where maybe he said to them, hey, Fellas, do you remember David? Like, David, yeah. That courageous, that courageous man in, a, in, in an army of cowards. How old was he? Oh, yeah, he, he was just a boy. He was young. Yeah, what about Joseph? Yeah, Joseph, the one who went through the highs and lows, and he went through low after low after low, but he just trusted God, and he, he saved his nation. Yeah, just a young boy. What about, what about Queen Esther? You know, we think queen and we think old, but she was probably just a teenager when she stood before the most powerful man in the world and begged for the safety of her nation and prevented a genocide just as a teenager. Remember her? Yeah. And what about Samuel, the young boy who heard the voice of God that changed his nation? Man, he said, see, we read those stories and we think, oh, that's just stories. Those were stories about real people, real young children who had incredible greatness on the inside of them. Jesus is saying, I want you to see that. And what about the real greatness downstairs? What about the real greatness in the portable, uh, this moment? What, those little hellions who keep breaking stuff? What greatness is in them? What greatness is in them? Mark chapter 10, coming back, Jesus says, this is the first part of the story. When Jesus saw what was happening, when they were saying, get away, don't bother Jesus, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. The kingdom of God belongs to them and those who are like children. You know, that's the same message that he offered to adults. Come to me. Matthew 11, he says, if you, were, if you were weary with life, if you're heavy burdened by the stuff that you got to carry, Jesus says, come to me. And say, come to religion. Come try out a new church. Come try. He said, come to me. Jesus, as we sing that, Jesus, the anchor of my soul. Jesus, uh, you know, the, well, I don't, that's the first time I saw that song, so I don't know all the words. But that, that idea that it's Jesus. That's what he's calling you to. And maybe this morning, that's the, the part that you feel in your heart. See, Jesus never saw kids as having kid problems. As he walks through life, sometimes we think of people as having kid problems, but he didn't. You know, Jesus came up to a man named Jairus, and Jairus had a daughter who had a problem. She was 12, and she died. That's a pretty big problem. And Jesus doesn't, doesn't look at it and say, oh, it's just, you know, just a kid problem. It's a real problem. And he, he raises her from the dead. And it's an incredibly powerful story. You can read about it. Mark wrote about Mark 5, Matthew 9, Luke 8, if you want to check out the details. But sometimes as adults, we're tempted to look at kids and, and we see kid problems. We think the biggest problems are like, we're out of Nutella. You know, Where's my phone charger? You can use mine. I lost it too. Where's all the phone chargers, right? Those are like, we think kid problems. 
Or then when they have real problems, we kind of downplay it as if they're kid problems. You know, they come into your room for the 11th time in the middle of the night, having a nightmare. Oh, just, just, it's the same one. It's all, just go back to bed. It's fine. You know, it's fine. You know, oh, I'm kind of worried about tomorrow. What do you have to worry about? You don't have to pay the bills. You've got food in the fridge. You have nothing to worry about. And we just downplay their worries. You know, they have addictions that we just think aren't even addictions. And yet they are. Do you realize kids can struggle with addiction at a, at a young age? Dad would one screen. Dad one screen. Dad one screen. See, but we, we tend to downplay things, but, but they're, they're, not, they're not kid problems. You know, there's a man who brought his son to Jesus, Mark chapter 9. He, uh, he said this, he brought this boy to Jesus, and he says, my, uh, my son has something wrong with him. He says, you know, I believe it's a demon. It keeps throwing him into the fire to try and kill him, and if that doesn't work, it throws him in the water to try and drown him. He says, something's wrong. Can, your disciples tried to cast this thing out, but it didn't happen. And he's like, the disciples thought, oh, it's a kid. It's just a kid problem. Yeah, we can just cast that out. And it's like, no, it, it doesn't go anywhere. And they said, Jesus, well, how come we couldn't cast it out? He's like, this one requires prayer and fasting. And he says, I just happen to have been praying and fasting. And boom, he casts it out and it listens. And it's gone. And this child is, is completely set free and healed. And you can read about that in Mark 9. See, the truth that, that we learn from is there's no junior devil. There's no junior enemy. You know, it's not like kids just have kid problems um, if it, here's, something to, here's something to think about. If, if the enemy can gain a foothold in childhood, it can become a stronghold in adulthood. For you of kids, you should be writing this down. If the enemy can gain a foothold in childhood, it can become a stronghold in adulthood. It is so true. See, we think we're just, oh, let's just do nice church. We are in a war, a war for the minds and hearts of our children. Here's some, here's some thoughts to think about. Judith Wallerstein she wrote a book called The Unexpected Legacy of Divorce. The Unexpected Le- uh, Legacy of Divorce. She studied children from divorced homes for 25 years, and here's what she learned. By the end of her, her book, she said in her conclusion that they continued to experience substantial expectations of failure, of fear of loss, fear of change, and fear of conflict even after 25 years. We won't say that to shame anybody, but we know that 50% of the kids growing up in our culture right now are growing up in homes that are broken. Do you realize that we already have the stats of where they're headed in 25 years for many of them. And there's something to say. Listen, the, the thing we have, the, we have the Bible study here on Tuesday nights, just, just you know, be destroying the strongholds of the mind. Why? Because those, a lot of those happen in the, in the lives of kids. The enemy found an open door when they were children, and now it's always been there. It's so important what happens with our kids. You know, sometimes that open door is something we left open. As parents... You know, it's, it's, it's uh, I don't know if, you, if in your family you have passed down heirlooms. You know, maybe it's a ring, maybe it's a rocking chair. And in my family, we have this old Bible. I think it's in Dutch, actually, but it was my great-grandfather's, went down to my grandfather, who was the oldest, went down to my mom, who was the oldest in her family, and eventually it'll go to me, and then it'll go to Reese. Uh, and it's this thing that we pass down. But you realize that families pass down other things, they don't even realize it. They pass down their habits, their hurts, and their hang-ups along to the next generation. See, statistics will tell us that, eight, uh, that a, a child of an addict is, is eight times more likely to take up that same addiction than another child. That, that's, that's crazy stuff when you think about it. How many times have you met somebody who said, I'm never going to be like my father? You know, they drank. I'm never going to be like them. And then it's funny. I have a friend who said this all his life. I'm never going to. I'm never going to. He's in his 30s now, and all of a sudden he started drinking. He never drank a drop until, until just recently. I'm like looking at him, I thought, you know, I thought you weren't going to be like your father. Well, I'm, I'm not drunk all the time. What's happening? What is that? It's this thing that we realize that it's not always spiritual, but sometimes it is. And it's not always alcohol. It's different things. 
For some, it's anger. For others, it's porn. For some, it's gossip. For some, it's spending. For some, it's anxiety, fear, worry, doubt. These things that we pass down to the next generation. Do you know, as parents, I think that just an encouragement to us that it's time for us to become really honest, to become accountable for, for the things that we've, the doors that have been opened in our lives and say, listen, I'm just, it's, it ends here. You struggle with addiction, would you tell somebody? Maybe for your sake, for sure, but for your kids as well. To say, no, we're slamming the door shut in this generation. And I don't want my kids to have to go through the same stuff that I went through. I don't want them to have to struggle with the same addiction, and they don't have to if we slam the door shut in this generation. Something to think about. There is no junior devil. The enemy's after your kids just like he's after you. But the good news is there's no junior Holy Spirit either. Man, we don't think about that too often, maybe not often enough, that, you know, downstairs, our kids' ministry workers right now are trying to open the door for your kids' hearts to know that God, the God of the universe, the God who loves them, lives in them, that the verses that we read for ourselves can be true for them, that they'd have a faith of their own that, that knows things like this, like Romans chapter 8, verse 10. So we've been reading Romans, it says this, that Christ lives in you. Man, what if our kids knew that? I got Christ living in me. I go to school and there's bullies. They may make fun of me, but I got Christ living in me. He said, so that even though your body will die because of sin, your spirit gives life because you've been made right with God. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead <laughs> lives in you. Man, if, if our kids would understand that, if us as adults would understand, there's nothing impossible for him. You know, it, you, got, you got stuff you're struggling with. Is it, is it bigger than being raised from the dead? I think not, but the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he'll give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. That was something that Paul wrote. Here's what John wrote. John said, you belong to God, my dear children, 1 John 4, 4. He says, you've already won the victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than he that's in the world. He says, the spirit in you is greater than he that's in the world. Romans chapter 8, verse 37 says, you're more than conquerors in Christ. You are already more than conquerors in Christ. Uh, because he loves you. Our kids need to know the presence and power of Jesus in a real way. Not just on a Sunday morning, but in, throughout, your, throughout life, at home, as parents, you know, as grandparents, that they would understand the presence of Jesus in their lives. Frederick Douglass said this, a guy we heard at a, an event years ago. He said this, it's easier to build strong children than it is to repair broken men. It's not easy to build strong children. It's not. But it's easier to build strong children than it is to repair broken men. And as a church, as we say, you know, this heart for kids, if, 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 they're, if they keep arriving in this place, then we as a church would say, let's have a heart for the generation that's following us. Jesus finished it with Mark chapter 10, verse 15. He says, I tell you the truth, telling you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took those children in his arms like last time and he, he placed his hands on their head and he blessed them. See, something that Jesus was trying to show his early followers and us is a simple thing that we are all children. He was like, they look down on children. He's like, I want, you to, I want you to realize that you are all children, that you have an amazing heavenly father. That's what he taught them. You want to talk to God, and you're like, you know, great and omnipotent and almighty God a million miles away, way, way. Hopefully you can heal my prayers, prayers, prayers. He's like, stop with all of that. He said, you want to talk to God? Why don't you just start with, hey, Dad. That's the same type of word. Maybe it's father, but most of you maybe didn't use that word. But hey, dad. John the Baptist was saying, yeah, I came to preach to turn the hearts of children to the father. Jesus took right up and said to turn the hearts of children to their heavenly father. 
Paul began to pray for people like they, like they were children. He prayed for the new believers. And, and I think we should be praying stuff like this over our kids. Ephesians 3, verse 16, he says this. And, and, and you know what? If you don't have kids, pray for mine. You know, and you're like, maybe <laughs> you're like, what do I pray? Dear Lord, please protect Finner from the butt whooping he might receive this week. What, whatever you're, you're like, I don't know what to pray. Well, here's some great stuff to pray. It's pray, pray something like this. God, I pray that from your glorious unlimited resources that you'll empower those kids with inner strength through your spirit, that Christ will make his home in their hearts as they trust in you, that their roots will grow down into God's love and keep them strong. Man, think about that. If their hearts uh, and their lives are rooted and grounded in his love, in his love, that they may have power to understand, as all God's people should, that they, wouldn't, that they would understand how, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. When they're going through the depths of despair, that they know he, he loves them down there. When they're like at school and looking at the, the kids and they're like, do I fit with those people or do I fit with those people? His love is wide enough that it covers all. And then this, verse 19, may they experience the love of Christ. Not just hear it up here, may they experience it. Though it's, it's too great to understand fully. He says, then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. That we pray that our kids would experience the love of Jesus. You know, Jesus didn't say, come, come, come follow rules, come try a church, come, come join religion. He says, just come experience me. And that's what we would hope for our kids, that, you know, our daughters would experience the love of Jesus in such a powerful way that they know that they are loved. This is my prayer for my daughter and, and for yours as well, that they, they would be so, that they know they're so completely loved that when some 15-year-old boy comes along and says, hey, you're good looking, see you later. I already know I'm loved. I don't need anything you got to tell me. We have so many starving for, so, for, for attention that the first person that shows it to them, and what, what, what are the, the long-term effects of it? Being a youth pastor is life after life after life after life that just didn't know that they were loved. Man, I pray that they experience the love of Jesus, that our sons would know that they're valued well before they ever get to the spot where they try and earn their value with what they achieve. Our daughters, the same thing, that they would never value uh, their value based on what they achieve, but that they would know they're loved, that they know that their children loved for their life. Uh, last weekend, I got to speak at a senior's home, retirement home, uh, and uh, they always make me pick the hymns, and, and I don't know any. So I'm just like, and I got to lead them. So I'm just like, I start with the first word and then watermelon the rest and hope they, they don't figure it out. But then this week there was on the list, there was a song called Jesus Loves Me, and I was like, that's a kid's song. I'm like, but I know it. I'm picking it. And so I picked it for the last song, and as the seniors, they were singing, you know, they, 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 all of a sudden we got to this song, I was like, I wonder how this is going to go, and began to sing, Jesus Loves Me, and they just all sang at the top of their lungs in different keys. Uh, I don't know if they can hear what they're singing, but they made sure I could. Jesus loves me, this I know. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Man, I loved seeing that. But I would love to see that even more with our kids, knowing the truth of those words. So as they go through school, that they have this confidence that, yes, I am loved. As they're, they're in their homes and facing real problems, yes, I am loved. When they face university, they're like, I, you know what? I have a faith that is strong enough not to just survive university, but to thrive and to affect the school and the system that they're in. Man, because we don't always realize the enemy's sowing seeds in their heart every single day, trying to, you know, change um, who they are from the inside to try and confuse, bring all kinds of confusion. They just need to simply know. And so for the last thought, the last thought, why? Why does any of this matter? 
In the Old Testament, there's a story of a man named uh, Joshua. Joshua was actually a, a really famous person. Anybody who is sitting around Jesus would have known who Joshua was. You, you may not, but you can read it in uh, the book of Joshua. Uh, and uh, in Judges, is the, the account where it just tells the story of Joshua. But Joshua was a man who helped the children of Israel conquer the promised land. And so they loved this. They, they were inspired by him. They actually hoped that Jesus would be the next Joshua that he'd be the next Yeshua, the one who was going to conquer Rome and, and take them in. Well, Joshua had this famous speech. You know, we have famous speeches. You know, I have a dream and whatever other speeches that, you know, that are famous. But Joshua's speech was an incredibly famous speech. He stood before all the people one day before they went into the promised land. And he said to them, listen, today's the day you have to choose. I want you to choose who you're going to serve. We're about to go into another land where they have all different kinds of gods. He's like, I want you to choose. Choose today. Are you going to serve those gods or are you going to serve our God, the God of Israel, choose today whom you will serve. And he said, and just so in case you're wondering, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Some of you have that verse up and you had no idea where it came from. That's where it came from. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And others rallied around and said, yeah, Joshua, we're with you. As for us and our house, we're serving the Lord. And this group of people who served the Lord went out and, to, and, and received the promise that God had given them. And it's this powerful, powerful story. But history tells us what happened after that. And it's a sad reality. Judges chapter 2, they write it. Here's what they wrote after the fact. It says in verse 7, And the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua, just like they said they would. And the leaders who outlived him, and those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. And then three verses later in verse 10, it says this, After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not know the Lord or remember the mighty things that he had done. See, Joshua was real great at serving his generation. It'd be like creating a church for, for, the, for this group of people. So that you like it. The seats are comfy. It's like, you know, we have our kinds of snacks, our kinds of music. It's just good for us. And it worked for, it worked for them. But it says that the sad reality is that the next generation didn't know Jesus for the, or didn't know the Lord for themselves. And so for our heart, see, Joshua didn't know what was going to be written about him. And we don't know what's going to be written about us, but we know it will be written. We don't know what the future holds, but we know there is a future ahead of us. What will it be? See, the, the thing, the, the, the fact that the second generation left faith, that's not new. That happens today. The next generation is, is leaving Christianity in droves. Our teenagers, our young adults are walking away from Christianity, and part of me is happy about it. Because I think in our culture, they're leaving Christianity that was never Christianity to begin with. They looked at mom and dad's kind of hypocritical faith as like, oh, it's something we do on Sunday and we're totally different throughout the week. And like, I don't want that. I am proud of you for walking away from that. But my hope is that you would walk away from that and actually walk towards what Christianity really was and is. And that is a, a living life following Jesus. That, but the thing is, the truth is that's not happening in a big way. And we don't know what will be written about us, but that is my hope. That is my hope that our generation of young people in this area will say, we've got a faith in Jesus Christ that's our own. We know him, we live for him, we serve him. And so today, there's a lot of takeaways. There's a whole lot. It's like, there's not just one main point. And so I want to leave you with this thought. What about you this morning? What about me? You're like, maybe like, well, I'm not a parent. I don't have any kids. I don't know why I showed up this morning. I hope there's brownies left over. Can I tell you that it takes a whole village to raise children? 
that it takes each and every one of us here. I would hope that you're in, you know, uh, praying for my, my kids as I would pray for yours, inspiring my, my children. Maybe for you, it's like, hey, you know what? I don't have kids, but I'll, I'll help serve in a kid's ministry that's doing that. If I can make disciples, if I can actually do what Jesus commanded me to do, and I can do that here, I'm in. I'm in. We'd love to have you join our team. But that's not the main point. The takeaways this morning is this. I would think the first one is this. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you heard the words of Jesus saying, come to me. That, maybe that's new for you. Maybe if you thought, oh, it's come to church or come to like religion or whatever. Uh, he's calling you this morning. He is. He's saying, would you come follow me? Would you come to me this morning? And just come simply like a child and say, God, I just received what you've done for me. That is something that maybe some of you need to embrace this morning, maybe for the first time. For others, maybe you're challenged just to simply be more like children in how you trust God because you just waffle all the time. Like, yes, I'm serving God, and I'm not sure. Yes, I trust God, and I got doubt. And he's saying, would you just trust? Kids trust their fathers when they're good, and he's a perfect father. You can trust him no matter what's going on around. You can trust him, and maybe he's calling you to that this morning. Maybe for you it's that following Jesus has been more about you than about him and realizing it's not just about me and my wants and, and what it is for me. Maybe for you it's, you know, you, there's people that you look down on. You thought, ah, those are the... Those are the ones that, I, I don't know, maybe it's not children. We'll talk about others next week. But challenge to think differently about the people around you, to value them with the value that they have. And the last thought, maybe for you as it is with me, that we would not be a church that loses the next generation. We're, I think we're doing really well with this, but I never want to just coast on that. I hope that this morning an impassioned plea inspires you to realize we've got a generation of young people who are the future leaders of our country and the future leaders of this church and, and the church as a whole, that we would value them to the point where we say, whatever it takes, we'll build into them the, the, what it means to be a disciple, a true follower of Jesus. Because how we follow Jesus has implications for the next generation. Here's your last thought. Children are great imitators, so would you give them something great to imitate? Children, they... <laughs> They do, as you, they do as they see more than, as, uh, than what you say. Children are great imitators. Let's give them something great to imitate. Would you follow Jesus this week in your home, parents, that gives a great example to your kids of what it means to be a Jesus follower? Let's pray. Father, thanks for this morning. Jesus, thank you for, your, for the stories of, of your life that have been preserved for us. <laughs> thank you for the, the truth that even thousands of years ago, still affects us in a real way today. Lord, thanks for opening our eyes just to see the battle that's going on around us for our hearts and minds, but also for the hearts and minds of our kids. Lord, I pray that you help us to take up the, the role of, of helping to see our kids' hearts turn towards you. I pray for every parent in this place this morning. I pray that you give us wisdom. I pray that as we walk out our lives with you this week, that we would do it in a way that our kids can see it and know it. They would know what it's like to live with you and for you, through the good, through the bad. Father, I pray for our kids this week as they go to school, as they are you know, around friends, around other people. Lord, the things that they're, they're here, the seeds that are sown in their life through the word spoken to them. Father, I pray that they would have the belt of truth, that they would recognize and sort out what's true and what's not true, that they would know that they are loved. May they, may they be so confident of your love for them this week they know how high and how wide and how deep that is, that they would experience it in a very real way, that they would know that they would know that they would know that they are loved by you. Father, may their decisions in life reflect that and may they, others see Jesus in them. 
And I pray that for each of us as your big kids as well. In your name I pray, amen.